Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Prayer is the greatest privilege as humans we have in connecting to our God. That's our thought this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to James, James chapter 5. And this morning I want to talk to you about just the importance of prayer. Now I understand we pray, uh, bless our food, or we, we pray for somebody to be healed, but the truth of the matter is there is a lot more that as believers we should be praying for. And so this morning I want to walk through James chapter 5 uh, and look at seven things. I know, I know, seven things and I've got just a handful of minutes, but I'll get there. Um, but... Um, we're going to look at these seven things and talk about just how, how are we to be praying? What are we to be praying for? Because as believers, when we pray, there's this intimacy that we can connect to the Father. There's this intimacy that, that happens in our lives that allows us to, to grow closer to God. Just like it was when you were dating your spouse or had a family member not that you were dating a family member, I hope, but that you were dating your spouse. You understand if you don't talk, there's not much of a relationship there. In the same way with God, if we don't spend time in prayer, there's not much of a relationship there. So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 5, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? This morning I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, a different translation than I normally read from, but I thought it would be appropriate for today's text. Any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. The sky sent rain down, and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear friends and sisters, if it, someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings back the sinner from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You may be seated. This morning, what I want to do is, is look at these seven things, and I want you to wrestle with what are we to be praying for as believers. So here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning. The faith that perseveres is one that recognizes the power of prayer in all circumstances, knowing God is sovereign in everything. The faith that perseveres is one that recognizes the power of prayer. Prayer is a powerful tool. 
It's, it's, it's a thing that God has given us to, to be intimate with him, to share our hearts with, and to spell out our hearts. You read the Psalms, you read David, and David all the time is pouring out his heart unto the Lord, asking God a number of things, protection, healing, forgiveness, all those things happen there. So in this text, James gives us seven things that I think we should be praying for. So let me just jump in and start giving you these seven things as we go. The first one is, there is this petition, uh, petition God when you are hurting. We're to ask God and to seek God when we're hurting. There's no wrong reason for that. We all hurt, we all have pain, we all go through things. The hurting here doesn't have to be a physical pain. It could be an emotional pain. It could be a financial pain. It could be a spiritual pain. But when you're hurting, who better to go to than God when you need help? And so you go to God. You, you ask God. You, you beg upon God. Hey, help me. You understand that. We, we understand when we're hurting or need help, we need to ask. There's no different with God. Now, I realize there's some people in the room that have a hard time asking. We don't want to ask anybody for help. But the truth of the matter is, God our Father is longing to help us. And so when we're hurting, there's this petition we need to make to God and ask him for his help, to plead with him on his behalf, to come and help us. Let's look at what Psalmist says. David says this, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Don't you love that? Close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue them each time. For the Lord protects the, the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Catch that. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the, the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one, will take, no one who takes refuge in him will be what, church? No one will be condemned. I love that verse. It comes right out of the Psalms from David's heart, recognizing the Lord is there for the hurting, for the broken, that we can take refuge in him. So again, if it's a, some of us after COVID have gone through this emotional roller coaster we've had all this bent up stuff inside us and trying to struggle how to readjust what to do the answer is for us to seek the hand of God and for some of us we, we've been broken because of broken relationships broken broken because of our jobs or broken because of financial burdens and God hears us. He's a God who doesn't walk away from us. He's a God who is always there. And so we should petition him 
and ask him for help. The second thing is, uh, James tells us not only are those who are hurting, but then there are those who are happy. That as believers, we should pray God, praise God when we are happy. We should praise God when we're happy. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how well you do that, but sometimes we forget in the happy days to celebrate with God. We get so excited that life is so good that we're experiencing this. A, ba a new baby has been born. A marriage is coming along. We're, you know, in good health. We've, we've recovered. But do we stop and say, Lord, I thank you? Do I thank you? Or do we come to this place and we... And we miss that. Do we miss those moments? Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, be thankful in some circumstances. Is that what he says? He says, be thankful only when life throws you a good ball. No. Be thankful in what, church? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. And I'm going to be honest, it's, it's hard to be thankful in some circumstances, right? And sometimes we look and go, how in the world can we be thankful in a moment like this? Well, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective in what we set our mind on and how we view life. Richard Stearns is the president of World Vision. Some of you may help World Vision. We'll go there in just a second, Anita. You're ahead of me. World Vision is one of those organizations where you can sponsor and adopt children, help children in, in third world countries. Several years ago, back, uh, I think it was 2010, uh, Haiti had an earthquake. Earthquake. A year later, he, Richard uh, Stearns, travels there. And he begins to visit and, and pay attention. He's in uh, Porto, Peru, Prince. And as he's there, he, he sees churches that are demolished and people are gathering in tents to worship. People no longer have a home to live in, but it's, it's a makeshift of anything they could have put together to, to live in. While he's in this church service and, and he's and they're worshiping, he notices on the front row there are six amputees sitting on the front, front row. They'd all lost a limb during the earthquake. And they range from age from six to 60. And he watches them and watches how much they are praising God through the whole experience. One of the women he watched was a 32-year-old single mother with two girls. During the earthquake, her right arm and right leg had got, got crushed Four days later, they had to take both her arm and her leg. And there she stood with a prosthetic on a leg, leading the choir, raising her left hand. And just singing with as much joy and enthusiasm that he'd ever seen before. After the service, he went over to her and introduced himself and, and began to ask some questions about how she can just celebrate and praise God after the year they've had. And she says, I feel like Lazarus, that God has brought me back and gave me another chance at life. And I'm going to celebrate each day with my girls that they know who God is. Coming back from that experience, he wrote about that experience, and here's the quote I want you to catch. It makes no sense to me as an entitled American 
Stop and put yourself there. An entitled American who grosses at the smallest inconveniences, a clogged drain, a slow Wi-Fi connection in my home, yet, they're in, yet here in this place, many people who had lost everything express nothing but praise. Nothing but praise. How? Why? It's a perspective of the heart. It's a perspective of the heart. It's how you see life. It's, it's your understanding of happiness. Happiness has nothing to do with material possessions, but whose we are. You remember the actor Alan Alda, one of my favorite shows, MASH? He's famous for saying, it's not necessary to, have, to be famous or rich to be happy. It's only necessary to be rich. And the thing is, that's the American thought process. We just got to have money and we'll be happy. No, you just have to have Jesus and you can find happiness. And so we need to celebrate that. We need to praise God when we're happy. You get up this morning feeling better than you did yesterday. Praise the Lord. We should praise the Lord every day we put our feet on the ground because you know what? You can't do that on your own. God gave you the ability. And listen, I get it. I understand the emotional hurt, the, the roller coaster of emotions. I understand all of that all too well. But I understand that God gives us each day. So we should praise the Lord when we're happy. The third thing James teaches us in this text is to ask for healing. Ask for healing. Now this is the, this is the easiest one for us. Uh, we, we understand to ask for healing. In fact, if you're, if you're here and you're on our power line, you know that when somebody gives us permission, we'll send out a power line that says, hey, pray for so-and-so, they've X, Y, Z. We do that, and, and, and listen, I think it's easy for us to ask for, for God for healing and to ask others for healing because it comes that moment in our life when we, we want to be well. We understand that process. But, but look what the text tells me, tells us again. Uh, it says uh, in verse 14, are you sick or are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, here's what we learn from James. There's this call that we need to make to ask for, for prayers, and we need to ask not only God, but we ask the church. And in this text, we find that there's this, we see how bad the person is because there's this call from the weak to come. They're weak, they're broken, they're unable to go to church because in this day and age, the church would have, it would have been a central part of their life. And so as, as they are able, they're going to church. But if they were too weak in the health concerns, they would have been at home. And so... They called the church and asked for the pastor and asked for those to come. Now, James tells us there's this anointing with oil. And, and many people wonder, well, what does it mean to anoint somebody with oil? Does that mean, that, is there oil have, have medical powers? Is there something about the oil? And here's what we know from Scripture is we know that in ancient times there were, there were some oils used for, for healing purposes. 
But if that was the case, then James would be saying, hey, call the church, ask them to come pray and give you medicine. But the problem with the oil that is used for medic, medicine that we read in the Old Testament, that's not the same word used here. So it's a different oil. We read the, the, the scriptures, we find that oil is also used as a sacrament to, to, to anoint, to put on. Roman Catholics still use it to this day. They're, it's a part of their sacrament that they, they might come and put oil on you and have a prayer over you. Although that happens at the end of life. <laughs> And so if you're sick and need healing, you, you wouldn't want to call and ask them to come anoint you because that would be the, I mean, it's time for death. And no, I think David Platt hits it right when he, he addresses this issue. He says that the oil is symbolic. And we see it in Scripture where, where the Bible tells us to consecrate ourselves and do certain things, but to be ready, to be to be set aside for a purpose. And I think what James is trying to tell us is, as a believer, we are to pray and ask God for healing. And, and if you go as far with the oil, it's the asking them to, to just, it's a symbol of saying, would, would God just acknowledge and, and help me to be ready to do what he's called me to do as my purpose in life? As a church, we understand the importance of praying for healing. I, I look around this room, and I, I won't call anybody's name out, but in this room, I can look around and see a number of people we've prayed for. Some church members, some not. We, we've prayed for those healings. We've prayed for God to, to move. That's our responsibility. But, but let's make no mistake about it. Neither the oil nor the prayer are healers. The only one in, who can heal the sick is God. And all we're doing is asking God to show up and to show favor. The oil has no healing power. God has all the power. And so as much as, as James tells us to, as a church, that we are to ask God for healing— as believers, we should be praying that. That's the easiest one for many of us to do. The, the fourth one we find in this text is, is simply this, to confess your sins. To pray and confess your sins to one another. Now, we have a little harder time with this one. Because we struggle with that thought process of telling somebody we're not perfect. Oh, we all admit we're not perfect. But when you look at our social media accounts, when you hear stories of people, you always hear their A-side. You remember cassette tapes? Cassette tapes always had an A and a B. Record publishers would always put the best hits on side A. The B-side was the, eh, we need to feel it. We needed something else. And so... What do we share with people? Our A-side. We share with people about, about our, all the good things that are going on. We rarely share how we've messed up. How we're falling apart. How we've stumbled and failed. In the first church, there's this understanding that there was church discipline. 
Paul writes it to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, and he talks about disciplined people. Now, church discipline doesn't happen anymore because, well, it's not effective anymore because people are afraid to, to do church discipline. Well, if I got to discipline them, I'm just as bad. Well, that's the point. We should be acknowledging and confessing our sins so that we can grow closer to God, not more like the world. Church discipline is not to be ugly or mean-spirited. It is to be bathed in love and grace and compassion. The heart of church discipline is to, to restore people back so that they walk favorably with the Lord. But one of the things that happens to do that is when we find that group of people that we can sit down and share our, our true hearts with. Now hear me carefully. I don't suggest you just start getting on your social media account or, or taking an ad out in the paper and listing your sins. But what I do suggest is you find another believer who has a heart and a desire to be Christ-like in all that they do. And you begin a right relationship with that person, and you start by simple conversations. Conversations that, you, that hold each other accountable. And as you grow in that relationship, you, you will strengthen that relationship to a point where you're willing to share your true heart with that person. Because... To be honest, to share our true heart, there's only a few people we would ever do that with, and then we might not. Because who wants to, to say, I struggle. I, I struggle with gambling. I struggle with alcohol. I struggle with pornography. We think, oh, we'll just tighten our belt up a little more and we'll be able to handle it on our own. No. We need the help of others. And in order to do that, we have to confess that we need the help. James writes here, telling us to, to confess our sins to one another. And then he, he, after the confession, he moves to this fifth point I want you to catch, and it's to pray for other believers. It's to pray for other believers. It's this, this whole idea that find those people that you believe have a desire to love God like you desire, and you work together, pray with one another, hold one another accountable. Share what God's doing in your heart. Memorize scripture together. Study God's word together. Do it at lunchtime. Do it at breakfast. Do it whenever is convenient. But a praying for one another. When you start doing that, you, be, you realize how powerful that becomes. How powerful that person is in your life. Because on those days when life throws you those curveballs, you know to call and they're there to answer. Paul, or James, lays this out. Look with me again at the text. Confess, verse 16, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power 
and produces wonderful results. Wonderful results. Who's that person for you? Who's that person you know beyond a shadow of a doubt at 3 a.m. when life, when the bottom falls out of your life, who's your 3 a.m. phone call? When you need prayer at 3 a.m., who do you call? When you need the move of God, who do you call? That's what James is speaking of here. The last, uh, number six, I got seven, I forget. Seven, pray with conviction. Pray with conviction. I love what the illustration James gives in verse 17. Elijah was human as we are, and yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. Listen, when you pray, do you have that kind of conviction? Do you have that kind of conviction? Do you pray knowing that as you pray, God is hearing you? Knowing as you pray, you're walking before God confident in your request. That you're not asking for selfish requests. You're not asking for your glory. You're asking for his glory to be done. Do you pray with that kind of conviction? I mean, think about it, parents. When your children ask you for something, you know when they're just asking and when you know when they really have a desire on their heart. When they're just asking for for something, you just say, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, I don't know if we can do that. But when your children come to you with with something that they've just thought through and it still may not be able to be done, but when they've thought through all the excuses, why so-and-so, why I need to have all these boys or girls at our house for a sleepover, and you go, oh, no. But But you know how much time and energy they've put into that. You can tell a difference. Do you think God can tell a difference in your prayer life and when we're praying with conviction or when we're just giving lip service? Sure. I mean, God can, God can tell a difference as much as you can tell a difference between a hamburger and a T-bone steak. God sees it. Pray with conviction. We read throughout Scripture, we see all the convictions that were prayed. We, we see people praying and, and longing for God to move and speak. We see David in Psalms. As you read through the Psalms, you see David's heart just overflowing with emotion. But here's the thing. Just because you pray with conviction doesn't always mean God answers your prayer the way you want it to. Because God knows best. But he knows your heart. And the heart's what is important. Because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Paul prayed with conviction. But look at 2 Corinthians 12 with me. He says, three different times, I begged the Lord to take away, take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul had an affliction that he, he begged God, remove this 
thorn from me. Remove this. Take this away. I believe with all my heart he prayed with as much power and might and conviction he had. But God said, my grace is sufficient. There are moments when we pray that way, but God's ways are better. And so when we pray in conviction, we understand that it's not about our will, but his will. Not about what we want, but about what God wants. Praying with conviction. The seventh thing I'll catch this morning is pray for those who are far from God. James concludes this, this, um, these verses by reminding them, dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is, and is brought back, you can be sure whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. One of the things we should be praying for is those who've wandered. Wandered, those who are far from God. I think if we'd made it, if we'd all sit in here and, and make a list of friends or family, or coworkers, people we know, former church members who we've known have wandered, the question then would need to be asked, how much are we praying for them? How often are we taking their name before God Asking God to work in their heart. And then how often are we trying to gently speak into their life? Not forcefully. We all know how forcefully works. Parents, if you had a 16-year-old or, or an 18-year-old and you told them they're not going to do something, they can't go someplace, what will they do? They're going to do it. And so... We can't forcefully do anything, but we can prayerfully do a lot. We can prayerfully go to God. It's interesting, James speaks to the power of prayer. These seven things are important for every believer to pray. The question is, how often are we praying these prayers, or are we just hung on the, Lord, heal me today, heal this person? When there's so many more things we should be praying. Lord, I praise you for another day. Oh, these bones hurt, but they have another day. Lord, I pray for you fill in the blank. Maybe it's the person you're praying for for the one in 99 for, on your bracelet. How often are we doing that? Those are the things that the Word of God teaches us that we are to pray. Those are the things that, that we're supposed to pray. And oftentimes we're hung only thinking about ourselves. And when we think about ourselves, we think about only things that we want. Lord, let me have a, let our children have good jobs. Let them marry well. Hear, hear me, those are all great prayers. But if we only spend our time there, we miss the blessing of so many other things. This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to think about how, how it is you are praying. And so as we close the service, what we're going to do this morning is, if you're here and don't know Christ this morning, I want to invite you to come to know Christ. I invite you to recognize that there is a God who loves you unconditionally. 
that hears you when you call. If you come to the place in your life and you recognize and acknowledge that you're a sinner, you come to a place in your life where you realize that you believe that God loves you unconditionally and sent his one and only son, that you commit your life to him. If that's your decision this morning, in just a second, our hymn of invitation, I'll be here. But chances are, most of us in this room just need to stop and, and pray. To pray for God to, to, to move in our heart. To move in a way that we recognize his hand in our life every day. To pray for people he puts in our life to share the gospel with. To find us someone we can be honest and, and confess our sins to. This morning, if that's you, as we sing our hymn of invitation, I'm going to invite you just to, to stand and pray. You can kneel and pray there. You can come to the altar and pray. But would you just pray and ask God to give you a heart to pray, to pray as Scripture teaches. Would you stand with me this morning?